The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? Good, Father. Thanks Good. for being here tonight. Uh, absolutely. It's mutual. Thank you. Yeah. Father, we've got some current events to discuss per usual, but I thought before we got into those, we could answer a few emails from the email inbox. Mm -hmm. So this first one here, Father, is from a new viewer who says he recently stumbled across our videos. He grew up Protestant, and his wife grew up Catholic. And he says that uh, he's always been interested in learning about the Catholic faith. His wife made him a rosary, and he's been praying that every day for the last several months. And he says, Father, there is a small parish about one hour from us that keeps the traditions, and we have thought about attending. What would be the proper way to go about attending? My presumption is as follows, that if my wife was going to the altar for the Eucharist, then she must go to confession first and be in a state of grace and that I must abstain completely from the sacrament of the Lord, but that I can go up and get a blessing. Is this correct? Attending a place that is unknown to us, the last thing either of us want to do is be offensive or offend God. Well, I certainly appreciate the goodwill and the good heart involved here, and they're on the right track. Uh, they have to be careful to be sure that this little uh, chapel they're talking about really is a traditional Catholic chapel and not just... Uh, um, well, uh, kind of a, a would-be traditional, or pretend traditional, mm -hmm. or um, just have sort of a traditional flavor about it, but that it really is integrally Catholic tra tradition that is taught there and that is practiced there. I would ask our writer to send us information on exactly where they're located, and uh, information about what, where this chapel is. And, uh, you know, we'd certainly be willing to... Um, Tell them what we know, and if we don't know anything, we'll find out. And let them know. We just want to be sure before sending them there, that telling them what they should do when they go there, that it really is the traditional Catholic faith that is practiced there in its integrity. Uh, there are those who uh, have kind of leaped onto the traditional Catholic sort of bandwagon in a way, and notably uh, schismatic sects and uh, even, even some... Um, High Church Anglicans have wanted to get involved in the fact that there are many people out there, Catholics, who want to find the traditional faith and practice it again. And they're kind of taking advantage of their naivety and uh, their need. So uh, we do have to be sure that uh, before they go, we send them or encourage them to go anywhere. We know that it's right. Uh, so having said that, I would say he's on the right track. I mean, you just, just don't walk up the aisle and, you know... <laughs> First of all, his wife has no doubt been raised in the Novus Ordo. So she couldn't just walk up the aisle and, uh, let's say, kneel down and do what everybody else does and receive Holy Communion that way. Uh, one would receive our Lord uh, in Holy Communion only after having made a good confession. And um, that, that really should be done uh, with the knowledge of the priest. So, assuming it is a traditional Catholic chapel with real traditional Catholic priests, it would be extremely important that, uh, notably she, the wife, the Catholic wife, contact them and talk about them, uh, talk to them, 
and go in and sit down and discuss with them how to go about their becoming members of that chapel and returning to the, well, I can't say returning to the tradition of the Catholic faith because if they are 30, 40 years old and were raised in the Novus Ordo, they would never have known, evidently, from the sound of it, they would never have known the traditional Catholic faith. So they would never have practiced it. Mm -hmm. um, but evidently, from what I hear from him, they have the faith, or they have the faith enough to know that it's the right thing to do. So they really should contact us first, okay? Let us uh, make certify for them that this really is a traditional Catholic chapel here. And then uh, they can, following through on that, um, make a contact and go and talk to them, sit down with them, and uh, let the traditional Catholic priest there guide them through learning the faith. Sometimes it's also a matter of sitting down with the catechism and making sure they know the faith. In the case of this gentleman, yes, they would have to do that. They'd have to give him a course of instruction. But even with the young lady there, uh, she would probably need a course of instruction too. So the two of them would want to go through the catechism together to make sure that they have a complete understanding of the Catholic faith. Uh, so it is kind of a conversion process probably for, for both of them. And uh, the first step in becoming a Catholic and practicing the traditional Catholic faith is to learn the faith and to be sure that they know what the Catholic Church traditionally teaches. The second step would be then deciding whether they actually believe these things, get the answer to all their questions and all their, their conundrums and perhaps even whatever doubts they need to raise them, and have them answered. Decide that they do believe the faith, and then decide whether or not they're willing to practice the faith, to live the faith. And once a person has uh, made those steps, learn the faith, decide that they, they definitely believe the faith and that they're willing and determined to practice the faith, then they can be received into the faith. Uh, if it takes a conditional baptism, fine. Uh, in many cases, it will. You know, there, there, there should be a conditional baptism just to remove all doubt about, about the validity of baptism. In the case of this gentleman, because he came, comes from, a, let's say, a non-Catholic, I presume is it Protestant background, mm -hmm. then he should expect to and want to be at least conditionally baptized. Just as I say, to remove all doubt because of the seriousness uh, of the sacrament of baptism and uh, the necessity of it. Sure. So, uh, but I, I hope to hear from them. I mm -hmm. hope they're listening to the show and they will respond and let, you, let us know where they are so that we can, uh, and, and, and ideally, the name of this chapel and its location, we'll check into it for them. Sure. All right. Next. I'll be praying for them. God bless them. Yeah. You know, yeah. God, there are evidently graces at work there, mm -hmm. and they're cooperating with them. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah, Father, it's a wonderful email. He says uh, much more in here, just um, praising the, the videos and the work that you have done, and he, he says how he'll be praying for you and the future of Christ well, the true church. Well, thank so, you. Yeah. Yeah, very much appreciate it. Definitely. Uh, next email, Father, is from a viewer who says, I have a friend who was selected to be a missionary in the United States through a Novus Ordo, quote, Catholic nonprofit organization, preaching chastity and purity to high school and college students. This friend mentioned that a big part of the training for his mission was an in-depth study of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. 
Is there anything in this work that may be contradictory to traditional Catholic teachings on chastity and sexuality? And should I be warning my friend to be attentive to possible diversions from the truth? You should definitely be warning your friend about, uh, quote-unquote, possible diversions from the truth, <laughs> from Catholic truth. Um, many people don't not realize this. I happen to be old enough that I can remember this. Uh, and it happened just after my ordination, because I was ordained in 1978, uh, the very year that Paul VI died, that uh, John Paul I came in, and then a month later died, and then John Paul II came in. In the early years of John Paul II, he was having uh, Wednesday audiences for the Catholic pilgrims who came, and so many of his audience were uh, like they were they were the explications of the, the fundamentals of his theology of the the body. What became his theology of the body formed the the the, the, the substance of his Wednesday audiences. They were recorded in L'Osservatore Romano back in the 1980s, okay? They were rather shocking. I mean, he talks about the androgynous nature of man, okay? Um, he, he goes into these explications. In fact, it, it caused me great wonderment that he was talking about these things to Catholic pilgrims who had come looking for something inspiring and uplifting about their faith, and he's going on and on about this, this theology of the body that he's developing back then, uh, which, it, it, well, to me at the time, it sounded almost like uh, something out of the Zohar. It sounded to me like something out of the, 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 the Kabbal, the Kabbalistic um, idea of creation of man. It was very, very peculiar. I saved them, actually. I, I actually have them somewhere, photocopies from the Zerbiter Romano uh, back then, because I don't think there had ever been Wednesday audiences quite like that. Um, even Paul VI, Wednesday audiences, I, I don't think they were quite like that. <clears throat> um, I would say that if there were young people there, this would be bordering on the lascivious, even. Right? And uh, since then, I've come to find out that John Paul II kind of codified his theology of the body, it has now become uh, a resource used from these uh, pregnancy centers, these pro-life pregnancy centers, which puzzles me greatly. And uh, they're now commissioning young people to go out and talk about this to others, uh, evidently, to try to promote the pro-life message. But... Um, it all strikes me as being very, very, well, it's very novus order. It's very new order. And the, the, the focus on the body, the body, the body, right? Um, that is something that is really very modernist, not Catholic. The Catholic Church always focused on the theology of the soul. Mm-hmm. You know, after all, I mean, the value of the body has to be determined by the soul. Once the soul leaves the body, the Church has reverence for the body, even without the soul. So she doesn't cremate the body. She gives it a decent burial. She, um, you know, prays over it, blesses it, enters it, uh, anticipates the resurrection of the body. The body was a temple of the Holy Ghost. But nonetheless, I mean, it is the soul. It is in the soul primarily that the image of God is. And it is in the soul that the, the sanctifying grace of God is, you know. 
So um, there you have the image of God and it's God's uh, spirituality and his immortality and the faculties, the powers of the soul, which reflect God's own powers of intelligence and will. Not in the body, you know. The body we have in common with the animals. That's where our animal nature comes from. So to theologize about the body and to try to use that as the foundation for a teaching on purity is really off the track. And it is, is, is going to be losing an enormous amount of power. And it even makes you wonder, well, why, why are there um, naturalist communities? You know what I mean by that? You know, these are the places you go where people walk around with no clothes on, you know? Why are they having, uh, selling John Paul II's Theology of the Body books in their bookstores in these places? And they are, right? What's going on here, you know? Uh, and not long ago, I was at a pro-life event uh, here at Auburn Avenue in Cincinnati, outside the Planned Parenthood clinic here. Mm -hmm. Clinic. Well, only a cynic would call it a clinic. Of course, it's an abortuary. It's an execution chamber, okay? And um, I was very gratified to see that among the, the speakers, the half a dozen speakers, two of them were our own. One of them, our current assistant principal, and the other, one of our graduates. M many of our, especially female graduates, go into to pro-life work. And I'm very proud of them for that. You know, in the various colleges around the area, they're prominent in the pro-life effort. I consider that one, one of the great successes, I'm very happy to say. And one of our graduates got up and gave a very fiery speech. And uh, it, was, it was really powerful. Uh, this is so good. Because this is exactly what we've been working for. This is exactly what we've been teaching at the school. And then, of course, our assistant principal got up and spoke, and he's been a long time, his whole entire family is involved in the pro-life effort for two generations now, going on three generations, I should say. And he gave a very, very powerful speech. Um, he even likened ex abortionists to contract killers, which is exactly what they are. They're hired assassins, what they are. They're contract killers. And he said that, uh, that you know, the future, in the future, the Nuremberg trials could be used as a models for the trials of those who are murdering children in this way. Although the, 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 uh, the crime of abortion is much worse. And such that some of the Novus Ordo Catholics were looking and asking, is he, is he a Catholic for saying this? Okay. Yeah. For talking about abortion so seriously. Well, they had one of the older Novosero priests there, one of the few probably who would get up and speak, and he got up and spoke. And he was known as being very uh, pro-life in the diocese, archdiocese here. And he starts talking about the theology of the body. And Tom, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. Um, he, he starts talking about the theology of the body, and I, I couldn't help but say right there, and I was about five feet away from him, and I said out loud, the theology of the body? Theology of the body, they need a theology of the soul. They don't even talk about the soul anymore. So they need a theology of the soul if they want to fight this pro-life effort. Well, I guess he heard me in the middle while he's talking there. So he's within about 30 seconds, he starts talking about the theology of the soul. <laughs> which I thought, well, okay, at least, you know, somebody's paying attention here, you know. <laughs> 
But I think it must have occurred to him, yeah, maybe we ought to say something about the soul too. Um, I mean, the body is condemned to death because of the sins, the soul, right? The body has to be recreated and glorified through the soul. So that is the glory of the body, the soul. And uh, that's what they really need in the Novus Ordo. That's what they've lost. They've lost the whole concept of the soul. And when you understand modernism, you see why. Because the first attack of modernism, as we just talked about yesterday in our second installment on modernism, is against the very idea of the soul. It's against the very idea of the powers of the soul, especially the intellect, to be able to know truth. That's the first thrust of the modernist, to annihilate the human soul. And so we shouldn't be surprised to find John Paul II, a very, very accomplished modernist, a thoroughgoing modernist, spouting this whole idea of the, the theology of the body. In place of the theology of the soul, which is the traditional Catholic teaching. So, yes, he certainly should warn about that. Um, again, it's all about teaching an earthly Christianity. A, a theology of materialism, starting with the body itself. Uh, the dignity of man is not to be found in the body. That's what humanism is all about, right? Basically. Theology of real dignity of, of human beings is to be found in the understanding of the soul, created in the image of God by nature and recreated in the, in the, in the likeness of God by sanctifying grace. Um, that's what they need. And I, I would hope that this gentleman who wrote in would understand that enough to begin to realize, you know, I, I've got to start studying more about the soul. Mm -hmm. and I've got to encourage my friend here to appreciate the significance of the soul more, because that's where the real message is going to get through. Hey, if you're not thinking about the soul, what is the unborn child without the soul? What is the argument for the, for the, uh, you know, against the evil of abortion, if you don't, if you don't focus on the fact that this is a human being and a human life with a soul created by God, uniquely to be this person. If all you think about is the body, you have no basis even to fight the pro-life fight. Mm -hmm. And Father, I think this... It's all um, about the soul. This theology of the body, you know, it's, it's kind of like an obsession with the body. And I, th oh. I think that this, um, this perfectly uh, explains so much of, of what's wrong with the Novus Ordo and these Novus Ordo pokes. You know, how, how they've all been so obsessed with all of these earthly things. You know, the, the death penalty. Francis has abolished a death penalty. All he ever talks about is the poor, the poor, the poor, evil capitalism, the money, the immigrants, all of, all of this. Um, yeah. Like you said, it's just... Material. Yeah, we'll go back to John the Twenty Third, the development of peoples. It's all about mm -hmm. economic development. And this is the status of life in this world. This also, you know, explains the reasoning by, behind uh, Francis saying, you know, we shouldn't obsess over abortion and and things like this. Contraception they, and homosexual these, marriage. These yeah. are spiritual sins. You know, mm -hmm. it's nothing to do with the body. Don't worry about it. Don't obsess over. Well, it. you know, it's no accident that the very man who stands up, having just been elected the Pope of the Novus Ordo immediately says we, stop, we have to stop obsessing about abortion and contraception and homosexuality. And look what he's got going on in his seminaries. We find this out five years later, you know. But he said it from the beginning. We should have known where he was going with this. Stop obsessing about this, you know. Mm -hmm. And now 
Now what's he saying, right? Now he's saying, oh, well, you know, we goofed. Let's move on, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's getting to the point where you can't, it's hard to excuse people who will not see the obvious, right? And by the way, speaking of the obvious, talk about the theology of the body. You know, you show up at these, at these abortuaries where they murder children, okay? And they have the best of the best of the Novus Ordo people there. The best of the best of the New Order Catholics are there. And they are there often to pray the rosary, right? And they have their banners, you know, about pro-life banners and, and, and all the rest, right? They're chanting things about uh, the, the, the child and saving the child's life. And some of them are very heroic, being out there in rain or shine day after day after day and countering, and countering people uh, who are coming in for abortions and putting themselves at risk. Look how they're dressed. Look at how the girls are dressed. I mean, they're wearing these spandex things. They're wearing short shorts. They're wearing halter top. They're, maybe I'm exaggerating, but some of them are really dressed very modestly. Some of them are dressed like a, a, a woman who would stand on the street and look for business out there. They have no concept of modesty. It's appalling. And here they are trying to promote the pro-life message. And they themselves are visual, visual and vis visible advertisements for immodesty and impurity and all the rest. Where do they think babies come from? They come from the, you know, uh, sexual uh, attraction between man and woman, right? Where do they think that comes from? The body, right? And the display of the body and the immoral display of the body, the immodesty of the body, the presentation of the body. They have no concept of these things. No one's teaching them these things. You know, so we have this, this older Novus Ordo priest out there who's giving this talk about, the, he's starting to talk about theology of the body. And he's got these Novus Ordo seminarians standing all around there, right? And they're probably as conservative as they're going to get anywhere, right? In fact, at one point, somebody said, let's get all the clergy together, because they had about 40 or 50, you know, Novus Ordo clergy there, including seminarians. And I was being told, fine, get out of the picture, get out of the picture. Well, I don't belong in that picture. I'm not Novus Ordo. I'm not New Order. I do not belong in that picture. I wasn't going to get in that picture. Okay, that's absurd. I tried to be nice about it, but I was very firm. No, I don't belong in that picture, okay? So they got the picture of the Novus Ordo clergy all standing there beaming and smiling, you know, like we're all Novus Ordo. We're all pro-life. But you look at the girls, and they're dressed modestly. And they have no sense of this, neither the girls nor the clergy. So much for the theology of the body. They're not even teaching the most fundamental principles of Catholic morality. Mm -hmm. Father, I, I think that goes to show just how far society has fallen. Because, you know, every once in a while there'll be some kind of headline of, of some uh, celebrity or some actor or actress who will make some kind of vague pro-life comment or something. And they are just held up like this great oh. model. You know, they're so brave. They speak out against mm -hmm. abortion. They, they, they try and use their stage to promote a pro-life message. And they're given so much praise and, and all of this. And yet you look at them, they act in the most immoral movies. They, they say, do the most immoral possible things. And yet just because they, they, they make some kind of vague comment about how it's wrong to murder an unborn child, we, so many, even, you know, Novus Oil, traditional or conservative-minded uh, Catholics will hold them up as some great model, and they deserve well, so much praise. Well, I think they hold them up that way because they're so rare. That's true. And at least in spite of 
this tangle of, of immoral ideas they hold, at least they see that. And they're willing to say it and brave the withering firestorm of opprobrium, right, from the fire-breathing dragon of all their liberal, you know, the, the, these feminists they associate with. So, I mean, I too I can see some stirring of grace in the soul there. And I'm hoping and praying that some good comes of it. I can't help but think that if they believe it's right, they're willing to step up and they're willing to at least, in, in the most obvious of obvious things, you know, this is a human life and you can't destroy it. Right. If they're willing to stand there and face the consequences of the hatred, literally hatred of those who are willing to murder babies, and let's face it, if this is the way they are, they're willing to do anything. Nobody's safe from them. They, they, they not only spew hatred, they breathe it, right? They, 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 they live it, right? You see it in the attacks on Brett Kavanaugh right now, yeah. right? Yeah. They are determined to get him. Not that he's the great pro-life leader or anything like that, but they're just determined to destroy him. And it really is all about abortion, as one of the writers said. It's all about that. So uh, they're, they're, these people who are murder babies, they're capable of any evil. There's nothing too evil for them. They almost revel in it. <clears throat> so when you find uh, an actor, an actress, or someone like that, uh, <clears throat> in the inter someone in the entertainment industry is running to say, look, it's wrong to, do, to, to abort babies. I mean, this is very rare. And there has to be some courage there because they know, they know what they're facing. They know who they're dealing with. And we can't help but pray for them that God will bring them down that, <clears throat> to, to save them from the primrose prep path that leads to hell and to draw them back to grace. You know, that's all we can hope and pray for. Sure. Um, but, you know, as far as the Novus Ordo clergy and it's, it's, Theology of the body, that's definitely on the wrong track. And uh, it's, it's, it's valued in the even only because it can be used for some relatively, some conservative purpose, they think. But even in that, it's going to fail because it's still modernism. Sure. It's born and bred of modernism. All right, Father, two more very quick emails, if we could. Uh, this next one says, I was wondering what the church teaches in regards to the eternal fate of miscarried children if they are unbaptized. The church teaches that the only way souls can be saved is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because after the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we are all conceived with original sin. The only exceptions were, of course, our Lord himself and his human soul and his blessed mother Mary. Okay. And uh, she was, we call her conception the Immaculate Conception because she was preserved free from all taint of original sin. Adam and Eve were not conceived, they were created by God in the fullness of their adult powers. And so God created them in grace, sanctifying grace, and of course they had no sin. When they did commit original sin, that, was, that had such a profound effect on them. It affected their very nature, and when they conceive children, they bring them, they, they conceive them in sin. The children receive original sin with the reception of their very human nature and their very conception. So it is with you, 
So it is with me, so it is with everyone else who has been, ever been born, except for our Lord and our Blessed Mother. <laughs> and that means that any child conceived at any time, including today, right, is conceived in original sin, the sin of nature, our fallen nature. And the child needs to be redeemed from that. Fortunately, there is a Redeemer, right? But the way for that child to be redeemed from that original sin can only be by grace, and that grace comes through the power of the sacrament of baptism. And so children who die without the sacrament of baptism, who die in the state of fallen human nature, cannot enter heaven in the, uh, uh, the beatific vision of the sight of God forever, of eternal life. And so the church teaches that they, they go to a place called the limbo of the infants. Now, it is very scriptural to see the limbo of the just, uh, because we know that the just souls of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and so on, they were all held in a place, right? Pending the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. St. Peter even tells us that from the cross, our Lord's soul descended into hell, meaning limbo, to preach the gospel to the dead. In other words, our Lord was bringing to the just souls of the Old Testament the, no, the news of the redemption. He, our Lord himself, personally announced it to them and led them out of that place where they had been waiting for him all that time. <clears throat> so there is no doubt in Catholic theology there was a limbo of, the, limbo of the just. Our Lord was even referring to that when he said to the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Our Lord said that to him. So from somewhere, Abraham saw Christ come into the world. Abraham was in limbo. He couldn't enter uh, heaven and the, the beatific vision of God. <clears throat> he couldn't enter eternal life, everlasting life, until Christ himself had given his life on the cross. Even though Abraham died justified from sin, and sanctified by virtue of his belief in the coming Redeemer, the gates of heaven were still closed until Christ died on that cross. And the church understands now, also because of the limbo of the just, there is also, we understand, a limbo of the infants, that just as those infants who come into the world and die without the water of baptism, and without justification from original sin, and without sanctifying grace in their soul. They don't have the life of Christ in their soul. They cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven in eternity. And so they are basically of a state where the limbo of the just was. And they, uh, they are there, and they have a place, a place of natural happiness, the fathers of the church tell us. The consensus of the Father of the Church is a place of natural happiness. And that's they will be they will be there forever. Okay. <clears throat> now, I mean, it, when a when a woman miscarries a child, has a child died before baptism, it is considered to be a great tragedy. And it is, I mean it is. That soul was created by God, destined to be in heaven, to have an everlasting life. That's true. But we have to remember that uh, there are certain things about this that God gives us to console us for this, for this loss. 
as hard as it is for parents, especially, of course, Catholic parents who really devout and look forward to the salvation of all of their children and being in heaven with them. Um, parents who would lay down their lives for their children without ever hesitating, right? This is how much they love them, including that child who died without baptism. They love that child so much. And they might make the mistake of thinking that that child would be better off never have to be, have been conceived. That's a very big mistake. If one were to ask the children, uh, if one were to ask these souls now in the limbo of the infants, and by the way, they will rise too. They will rise with the rest of us, body and soul. <clears throat> if one were to ask any of them, would you rather have never have been, been conceived rather than be here? None of them would say, of course, I'd rather have never existed than be here. They are so grateful to have been conceived. They are so grateful to have been given even natural life, even a life of natural happiness. Because even there, they have the power of the intellect to know God by the power of the, the human mind who is made to know truth and love goodness and to enjoy beauty. They can know these things, they can love these things, and they can enjoy these things in the limbo of the infants, and they do. So, um, I mean, the life that they live is actually much better than any life here on earth, that we can possibly live on this, in this fallen earth. But for the fact that they, they don't, they're not going to see God in heaven with the, the grace of beatific vision, they're not going to have what our Lord called eternal or everlasting life, which only he can give to those who are justified from sin and sanctified by grace. But every one of those children is very grateful for having been given the opportunity to exist. <clears throat> and, um, and they would never undo that. They would never change that. So um, we have to, uh, you know, not only realize, okay, my child will not see God in heaven, but my, my child will never see the horrors of hell either. My child will never know those. My child will never suffer the fires of purgatory. My child will never commit a mortal sin of his own or her own, you know. I mean, there are certain consolations and comforts that every parent can derive from that. And this is why God wants them to see it as he sees it, or what he sees it, you know. It's not an unmitigated loss, you know. There is still life given there, and it is a beautiful thing. But still... So superior, of course, is the life of everlasting life in heaven that even that, the life of those in the limb of the infants, that abortion remains the terrific tragedy that it is. Mortally sinful, a mortally sinful grave sin of, of infanticide, right? So in, even in that, in its own right, I mean, it, it's just an unspeakable evil. But insofar it is, is the deliberate prevention of this newly created soul uh, cut off from justification and sanctification of God's grace and the beatific vision of God. It has to be, it has to be uh, resisted with might and main. We have to do everything we can to prevent this. Sure. All right, last email, Father, concerning the phrase children of God. It is popular amongst modern Catholics to refer to all of humanity as, quote, children of God, even for the unbaptized. If upon baptism we are made sons of God, is it correct and traditional to refer to every human as a child of God? 
Well, John, as you learned when you were running for First Communion, you were asked about baptism, what baptism does, and what, what sanctifying grace does, and you were told that it makes the soul holy and pleasing to God, makes you a child of God and an heir of heaven. Being a child of God means that you have received the grace of God. You've been justified from sin and sanctified by grace. That's what makes you a child of God. That's what makes you an heir of heaven, that you can inherit heaven, right? And so it is not correct to say everybody's a child of God. Everyone is a creature of God, right? Every human being is a creature of God. And not only a creature in the same sense as the rocks and the caterpillars and the canaries and so on, but every human being, being a creature of God, is created in his image, right, by nature. So that makes the human being the, the highest of all God's creatures. No other creature of this, of this universe can be referred to as created in the image of God, only human beings. So even when we say that man without grace is created in the image of God, it's a great thing, okay? But nonetheless, without grace, no one can claim to be a child of God and an heir of heaven. Only those in the state of sanctifying grace can really do so. Only those who have the, received the grace of baptism and those who have the virtues of faith and hope, at least that, and potential charity, right? Even if they've fallen from grace by mortal sin, they still have faith and they still have hope and they can still return to the state of grace because they know what to, to do and they have the avenue open to them from baptism the gateway to the sacraments. They can go to the sacrament of penance. They can confess their sins and return to the state of grace again. Only they, only they can really be considered children of God. So our writer is correct. It is not correct. In fact, it's theologically very incorrect to say that everybody's a child of God. Mm -hmm. They're not. The only thing that can make you a child of God is that adoption of God that comes through grace. Justification from sin sanctification by sanctifying grace. And I remember Father in the Gospels where our Lord speaking to the Pharisees says that they are worthy children of their father, the father of lies. Well, they're lies, yeah. yeah. So they definitely were not children of God, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, children of the devil, right? Yeah. Well, Father, we have just a few minutes left uh, and we've received a couple requests for you to comment upon uh, Francis's recent agreement with China and uh, their... Uh, national church there and Francis's approval of their doings. So any comments on that, Father? Yes, well, this has been in the works a long time. It's been reported uh, as being in progress, and there's been a lot of anticipation mm -hmm. uh, of horror about this. Uh, Francis has been planning on coming to an agreement with the People's Republic of China. In other words, the Communist Party that governs China, okay? that tyrannizes the people of China, such that the, the Chinese patriotic Catholic Church that was established in the late 1950s, in order to uh, sinify, as it were, to turn the Catholics of China into um, uh, basically minions of the state of the Communist Party, okay? And make, and make the, the Catholic Church in China an extension of the Communist Party, mm -hmm. 
and a, a, uh, a part of the communist uh, system, actually, to absorb it, swallow it whole. This is what Francis is now uh, embracing over there. And in doing so, he is, he is betraying all of those Chinese Catholics who all of these years have refused to allow the communists to uh, take control of their Catholic, the Catholic people of China. Uh, pa existing par in, in parallel all these years since the 1950s has been this Chinese, uh, you know, uh, uh, patriotic Catholic association, okay? Okay. Uh, which has operated above ground publicly, <clears throat> supposedly is the Catholic Church in China. It's not. It's actually entirely controlled by the Communist Party of China. Okay, and you have the underground Catholics who have determined all this time to remain faithful to the Vatican, okay, and not communist. And this is really peculiar here because in the course of Vatican II, the underground Catholics accepted Vatican II, accepted the new Mass, accepted the new the Novus Ordo sacraments and began to practice the Novus Ordo, thinking that this is what they had to do to remain faithful Catholics, faithful to the powers that be in the Vatican, not understanding that they were actually following the modernists. And initially, the Communist Party Catholic Church, okay, would not accept Vatican II. The idea was the Vatican is a foreign power, and we Chinese, our, our loyal Chinese, faithful to our, our Chinese government, communist as it is. And so our first allegiance is to the, well, basically the Communist Party of China as the current government of China. They would not change. They wouldn't accept the new sacraments. They wouldn't accept the new mass. <clears throat> In fact, it was their way of showing their loyalty to the party, that they wouldn't accept the changes that the modernists brought in during and after Vatican II. Curious, so they still continued uh, offering the traditional Latin Mass, the traditional Catholic faith they were practicing. Well, at some point along the line, the communists discovered that actually the Novus Ordo was much more to their liking. And so then they had a dilemma. Do we accept it, and in doing so, officially recognize Vatican II and the authority of Rome and the Vatican? Or do we continue to reject it and practice what the Catholics had traditionally? They saw the advantage of taking the new mass so great that they made this concession, that they determined this Novus Ordo suits our purposes as the Communist Party of China. So they accepted the new order because they saw it was exactly what they wanted. I mean, after all, the new, the new order brought in enculturation, right? Glorifying the local culture. Well, the, the Chinese Communist Party wanted nothing but that. They wanted the, <coughs> the Catholics of China to be Chinese first and Catholics second. They wanted Catholicism to be subject to certification of the people. That is, that they are good Chinese first, right? Loyal to China, including the Communist Party. They found that Novus Ordo was exactly what they needed. Perfect, perfect prescription for this. 
So they actually made this concession, if it was that, because they had so much to gain by accepting the Novus Ordo. Now, imagine if they had held on to the old traditional ways. Do you think Francis would be willing to sign up? Do you think Francis would be willing to turn everything over to them? <laughs> they became so completely Novus Ordo that they've got married, married bishops, married clergy. They got, they've got... They've got they've got these bishops over there that were illegally uh, consecrated by communist turncoat bishops, okay, who have given them their their communist party chosen bishops. Francis is now turning all of these people in China over to them. He's basically telling the Catholics of China, the would be Catholics of China, behold. These are your novitiates, and they are the communist agents. Follow them, right? You see what happened in Russia when the Bolsheviks took over and took over the, uh, the Orthodox Church, right? And uh, basically turned all of the, all of the uh, hierarchy and the priests of the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church into agents of communism. Many of them NKVD, many of them KGB agents, right? Francis is, is now endorsing that very same thing. And it's really, really devilish. Mm -hmm. Somebody pointed out, though, there's actually a connection between the sexual abuse crisis and his way of handling that and what he's doing with the Chinese. <clears throat> Somebody even pointed out the connection between what he's doing with the communist Chinese <clears throat> and what he's doing with the Society of St. Pius X. Because now, now both Bishop Fillet of the SSPX is chortling, look, we're Catholics. They recognize we're Catholics. They're letting me do this. They're letting me do that, right? In their name. And the communist, the communist Chinese bishops are doing the same thing. They're saying exactly the same thing. Look, they recognize we're Catholic now. They recognize we're Catholic as much as they are. And they're letting us do all this thing. Now we're official. Isn't it ironic that this, this is happening simultaneously with the Society of St. Pius X and the Communist Party of Russia, uh, of China? <laughs> that they're, they're both re, uh, congratulating themselves. Why don't they just get together and congratulate each other? But this is what modernism wants to do. It wants to reconcile, try to reconcile uh, contra contraries and contradictories. Mm -hmm. thing. It wants to reconcile God and Satan is what it really wants to do. And this is, the, this is the evil fruit of modernism. And this is why the modernists have filled their church with evil fruits, wicked fruits. We see the wicked fruits of modernism. Mm -hmm. This is what they're dealing with right now. So, uh, yeah, this deal with the Communist Party of China is, is really foul. It's straight out of hell. Mm -hmm. And it is ironic, somebody just told me before the show here, that this Cardinal Zen, who's this you know, former Cardinal of Hong Kong, was the first one to offer, to say the new mass, the new order mass in China. And now here he is decrying this deal of Francis with the communist Chinese. And it's funny how the, I would say the turkeys come home to roost here. You know, it's funny how this, the, the crows, the vultures come home to roost, so to speak. Mm -hmm. when, you, when, you, when you deal with the modernists, this is exactly what you get. So anyway, um, we had to pray for these poor people because there are many of them who are suffering mightily. Um, 
the communist regime is, 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 is the most brutal of all in China. And uh, it, it's so ironic. You know, uh, Francis's archbishop, what is it, Sarandund or whatever his name is, says that the church's social doctrine is no more perfectly applied and practiced than by China. Mm -hmm. The communists of China represent the, the most perfect practice of the Catholic Church's social doctrine. Now that man is dangerous, okay? He is dangerous. Uh, I think a good argument can be made that people who think that way need to be very closely watched because this is, this is criminally insane to say that. At the same time, this Cardinal Marx in Germany, that Francis chose to be one of the eight cardinals helping him guide the Novus Ordo Church through these times, says that if it were not for the doctrines of Karl Marx, the church would have no social doctrine at all. <laughs> See, you've got both ends here, you know. Uh, Cardinal uh, Marx, of all things, uh, saying that Karl Marx, the communist theoretician, gave the church her social doctrine, and now it's being no more better applied than by the Communist Party of China, where they're murdering babies by the millions by their uh, abortion policy, and, and destroying churches, and doing everything they can to eradicate true faith. Mm -hmm. Francis is walking in lockstep with them. He's right there with them every inch of the way. Father, you said this is devilish, and I think that's spot on. You know, we, we've mentioned on this program before, um, I've, I've read reports of, uh, you know, how, how, what the Novus Ordo Catholics have to deal with there, where the, the uh, Chinese government will, will come in with buzz saws and, and literally, you know, cut up whatever religious artifacts they have there. They'll take their Bibles or prayer books, whatever, rip the pages out, throw them away. They'll... They'll take the people, hold them, um, you know, in, in their prisons or whatever. And, and it's all this, you, you know, you see, it does, it reminds you of the devil, where you have all, all these people who are trying to be true to Francis and his authority, try and follow him and everything. Because and, they think it's the Catholic thing to do. But, but, but look, look what Francis does to his, uh, you know, children. Um, he treats them like the devil treats his children. He, he goes about seeking whom he may devour, and this is exactly what Francis does. He totally abandons them to these ravenous wolves who go about seeking whom they may devour, and it, it, it does. It perfectly reminds you of the devil. Well, that's, that's modernism. And as a matter of fact, I mean, we're now recording these programs on modernism to explain modernism, what it is. And uh, last night we recorded the most difficult part of it. The modernist as philosopher. It's an hour and a half long. <clears throat> but if one grasps that, one grasps the essentials of modernism, then it's merely a sense of a matter of drawing the conclusions from there, which we're going to do. And in the next program we do about this, we're going to deal with the next thing. I mean, Francis is dealing with the Society of St. X, and he's dealing with the Communist Party in China, right? At the same time, he's pushing the synodal church, right? Mm -hmm. Big time. He's pushing the synodal church, which is basically a, um, he's constructing the modernist church now. He's giving it its final form, is what he's doing. And in the next installment on, on modernism, I want to show that in the encyclical Vicendi, St. Pius X condemned exactly that, exactly that. And if you take what Francis says in his concept of the synodal church, and you put it right next to St. Pius X's explanation of the modernist church, their concept of the church, you'll see they're exactly the same. I mean, word for word, 
Maybe not word for word. Awfully close, though. Close, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's creepy how closely Francis is modeling the modernism that St. Pius X condemned in 1907 as being the anti-faith for the anti-church of the Antichrist. I mean, made it very clear. Well, Father, we went just a bit over our uh, desired time limit for That's tonight. That's very unusual time. <laughs> I'm sure our viewers won't mind, Father. We, uh, we've received... Well, I can't blame that on you, I must say. We've, I take uh, full responsibility for that. We've received a, uh, an, a, an influx of, of great emails of people, just um, all kinds of viewers, just saying thank you for the work that you've been doing lately, uh, you know, saying that there's there's no one else in the in the Catholic media who is condemning uh, Francis and modernism and saying the things that need to be said. Well, nobody else will say these things as far as I know. There might be one or two voices out there that are that are pointing all these things out, but very few, and very few will link to us for that very reason, you know. And I understand why they would be reluctant to do so, because they would have to face that modernism is the evil, and the entirety of the Novus Ordo has to be abandoned. And they're not ready to give that up yet. They're too invested in it, right? So what we really need is for our viewers to tell everybody. Just spread the word. Link to everybody they can. Get the word out there by word of mouth. I mean, one of our programs for us went viral, or at least bacterial, <laughs> insofar as it uh, had, you know, now it's numbering 40,000, 43,000 views, which is for us a lot, you know. But that only happened by word of mouth. We didn't get you know, other conservative Novus Ordo sites linking to us because they are Novus Ordo sites, and we are not. So the only way we can get the word out is by asking people who do view the programs to see the value of them to make sure that they send them on to everybody they know. Absolutely. So we ask them to do that much. Yes, Father. Thank you for being here tonight, Father. You're welcome, Tom. Thank you. God bless you all. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.